My mother told me that there weren't monsters under my bed or hidden inside my closet. But she never warned me that sometimes monsters come dressed not as my enemies, but as those closest to me. I just want to say thank you for betraying me. Welcome. Great to have you guys here. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. Grateful for you. We're starting a new series today called Thank You for Betraying Me. That's not a line we would normally use, right? We normally use say, hey, thanks for the gift. Hey, thanks for always being there for me. But, but we wouldn't probably send a note that says, thank you for betraying me. But the truth is, is that most of our greatest developmental moments in our lives happened from a betrayal, happened from something difficult, happened from a problem. Someone left you, someone you thought you could trust, you couldn't trust. Someone hurt you, you got fired, you got laid off. You know, someone that you, you, you gave your heart and soul to could not be trusted with it, and now you've been betrayed. I wanna talk about that because I believe God uses betrayal in our lives to bring greater good for us. I know that sounds crazy, but we can see this over and over again in Scripture that when someone was betrayed deeply, oftentimes it was after that that the greatest work happened. And so, I mean, case in point, Jesus himself was betrayed by Judas, and that is when that he actually gave his life on the cross for you and for me. Pull out your notes if you will. I want to talk about this today. And before we get started, though, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. Again, thanks for joining us here at Church Unlimited today. Thanks for being a part. Pull out your notes if you would. If you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. I want to tell you a quick story about uh, Abraham and Sarah and their, their maidservant called Hagar. Maidservant sounds real nice and fancy. She was a slave. And so she was a slave uh, and she was assigned to Sarah. And so she helped her in everything she did. Now, when the Bible talks about slavery, it never approves of it. It just tells you it is. So understand that. Nowhere does it say, and that was good. It never says that ever in Scripture, but it does acknowledge that it, it did happen. And so just understand that in the same way, I think, as our country, we should acknowledge that as well so that it never happens again, right? And so, but as we unpack this, I want to encourage you today as we look at this, that you're going to find that Hagar was treated very unfairly, but yet God used this unfairness in her life in a powerful way. Hagar was a single mom. And uh, the way she became a single mom is not something you would wish on anyone. And so let's unpack that. So Abraham and Sarah, Abraham is chosen by God to be the one to bring, introduce the Lord and this faith to the world. And so he is considered one of the patriarchs of our faith. And so, but that does not mean he did everything right by any stretch. Please do not believe that because God uses someone that they, that they always make the right decisions. He clearly did not. Abraham and Sarah are told by God, God tells Abraham, you're going to have a child. The problem was Abraham was way past childbearing years, uh, and, and more importantly, Sarah was way past childbearing years. And so he was like, there's just no way. But God told him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. He's like, how can I be the father of a great nation when I'm not even a father at all? And, but the Lord told him, you're going to have a baby. Well, he has his promise to God. God also visits Sarah, tells her the same thing. Neither happens very quickly. So Sarah, like many of us, decides to take matters in her own hands. This is what happens whenever we decide, hey, God, I've been waiting on that right relationship to happen, that right job, that right opportunity. It's not happening, so I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. How does it normally go for you, right? Normally, it goes bad when you try to force something to make it work. Well, I can't find a really good Christian guy, so I'll just choose this guy and make him into a great Christian. How does that work? 
It doesn't work well, right? I can't choose to find a great Christian girl. I'm going to just make this girl work and make her become a great Christian, right? It just, it, again, it's not there because it's not a choosing their making. It's a choosing your making for them. It doesn't work. And so we're trying to make something happen. So she says, hey, we can't get pregnant. And so my maidservant's much younger. She's in the childbearing years. And so I will just have Abraham go sleep with her, get her pregnant, and that will be our child. That'll be my child, right? So that's what she does. And so understand, again, slavery is not right, but it's a reality. So this woman had no rights of her own. And so basically, we're about to see human trafficking happening right here. And so Abraham goes to sleep with Hagar. Now, before those of you who say, well, but, you know, I know Hagar, we're about to learn Hagar was put out by them later on when she had the baby. But um, before that, you may say, well, Hagar was betrayed by Abraham because she probably really loved him. Honestly, I doubt it. Because, I mean, let's just be real. Uh, So she's probably under 40 and he's 85. So I'm just not thinking that she's like, whoa, I'm just wooed by this guy and in love with him. I mean, how many 40-year-old or under ladies here want to sleep with an 85-year-old man? Probably not a lot. So, but Abraham goes full Hugh Hefner on her. They sleep together. (laughs) They get pregnant, right? She gets pregnant, gives birth to Ishmael, okay? So now Ishmael is, you know, Sarah's happy. Okay, great. I have a baby, you know. And so, and and all all seems to be okay, right? So the baby's growing up. But then God goes back to Abraham and says, that's not what I told you to do. That's not what I told you to do either, Sarah. That's not the plan. I'm going to give you a child of your own. They're like, there's just no way. It's not physically possible. And God says, I'm the God of miracles. Is there anything impossible for me to do? So then he allows his wife to get, he allows Sarah to get pregnant through Abraham. And so she literally has a baby. He is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Okay, so imagine that. So now he's a, he's a, he's a new dad uh, at age 100, okay? And so, uh, you know, she has a baby. Now the baby's being weaned. Now, let me do some math for you. When we think of weaning a child in America, that means 12, 18 months. If it's, if it's difficult, maybe even earlier, right? But if you go kind of full-term breastfeeding the whole deal, then maybe 12, 18 months, up to two years. Well, they actually weaned the baby at around four or five years of age, not even the baby anymore. So I know that sounds kind of freaks us out, but that was that people still do that to some degree, but uh, that that's when they did it. So the reason I want to tell you that is I want to do a little math with you real quick. So Hagar, we imagine, if you know the story of Hagar being put out, uh, but you know, being told to leave with her child, we're imagining her like carrying her baby or a little bitty boy. No, this kid was 18 years old. So I don't think you realize this, this was, it was a child. It was her child, but her child was a man. Her, her child, I mean, if you're 18 years old, you may consider, still consider yourself a kid, but you can fight a battle for America. <laughs> you can act, we'll put a weapon in your hands and send you to Afghanistan at 18, okay? 18, 19, something like that. So he was between the ages of 17 and 20 whenever what happens to them happens. So I just want to give you some age range there to understand what's going on. So let me pick up the scripture now and let's see how this unfolds, okay? Now let me ask you something. Do you think this is going well? with a baby that she really wanted, but now she has her own baby. So don't you think her attention turned, Sarah's attention? She's like, no, I got my own baby now. And now this other baby is a reminder in her mind of a mistake she made, right? And so now just imagine how that's playing out. I mean, this is going full Jerry Springer all of a sudden, right? I mean, the whole deal, right? And so you got baby mama drama everywhere, all right? And so that's what's happening. You're going to call it Mari Povich, see who's what kid and all that, right? Okay. It says, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah was, saw Ishmael. So this is, this is Abraham and Hagar's child, not Sarah's, right? Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So you got a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid 
making fun of a five-year-old. Okay, anybody have teenage boys in here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Teenage boys? Can teenage boys make fun of people? Yes, they can, right? They're like experts at making fun. And the reason I know this is because I was a teenage boy, right? We were good as teenagers of making fun and, you know, popping off, that kind of stuff. So you got an 18-year-old, 17 to 20, we're not sure exactly, making fun of a four or five-year-old kid, right? The problem there is that he did it in front of the kid's mom. Now, mom, if you see someone much bigger picking on your kid, don't the big claws come out with you? Right? You're like, oh, no, not on my watch. That's when you get all crazy looking. You know, you get that crazy eye. You're like, what you, what, what's that? What's that? What? <laughs> and so that's like, it's going to get ugly, right? And so that's what's going on at this point, right? So it says, so she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of descendants of Hagar's son because he's your son too. Now, before you go any further, before you say, okay, hold on, this is really lame. God just approved of him betraying Hagar. Like Hagar did nothing. She's just like, I'm a, all I'm doing is serving you guys like I'm supposed to. I'm in my room one night and you come in with some twinkle in your eyes, an old man, and jump on me. And I'm supposed to just take this. And then I get pregnant. I have a baby and you wanted a baby. And now all of a sudden you're mad at me. I've done nothing here. Right? I mean, she's like, I've done nothing wrong and I'm getting thrown out. Right? But the 17 year old, right? He is the one popping off at the five-year-old not realizing, I don't know why he didn't realize this, or maybe he did. Maybe he, there was some tension because he's thinking, like, Dad used to hang out with me. Now Dad hangs out with his new family. Boy, I'm glad they, that doesn't happen in America. <laughs> so you can imagine the tension between, because I'm from the previous relationship, and this is from the new relationship. There's some serious tension there. But, of course, in this case, because it was a slave, there was really no relationship. Right? It was just like, we're just trying to make our way happen here. Okay? So there's a lot of tension going on here. I'm sure this 17-year-old boy is pretty ticked off at dad that dad's throwing him a party. Where's my party? Right? And so he gets all this party and he's celebrating all this. But I mean, hey, dad, don't forget me. Right? I look like you too. Right? And so he's offended. He's hurt. So he's popping off at this little kid. Now, the reason I want to mention this, his age is because here's the thing. I've done some studying and uh, uh, the, the last part of your brain to develop, I don't know if you know this, is your frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, right here at the front of your brain, this last part to develop. That develops after age 20, 21 years of age. So 22, 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there your frontal lobe fully develops. So which, and do you know what the frontal lobe actually gives us? It gives us, it gives us judgment and the ability to have impulse control. Can you see the problem now? So this is why when we're teenagers, we oftentimes do dumb things, Right? Because we don't have the judgment to understand that decision is going to really hurt us, and we don't have impulse control either. We want to do something, we just do it. You want to pop off, you just pop off. Never mind the fact that the boss's wife is right here, and my mom is just a slave, and we're even lucky to be here because it's already a tenuous situation, and then I pop off at her son on his special day? This is not going to go well. So now things go way bad really fast. So, but I want to bring this up before we go any further, because oftentimes 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds They'd make decisions without realizing the full blunt of the consequences. And so here is a guy, he just thinks he's popping off a little kid, but that one move is about to cost him his home. They're about to be literally homeless in a desert because of his mouth. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had to have with 17, 18, 19 year old, 20 year old boys that don't realize the decisions they're making now are gonna hurt them for a generation, if they're not careful. 
that it's going to be a 10, 20-year decision you just made in five minutes. This is a very big deal, which also I'm not totally surprised there's a problem here because dad's a bit checked out, focused on his new son and not focused on his other son. And this is also one of the reasons why dads, we need to clue in, especially with teenage boys, we need to be in their face. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be in teenage boys' face because I, there is scientific proof that they are not fully developed. So you need to grab your son and say, bring that little undeveloped lobe over here and I need to talk with you. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And don't be afraid to get in their face. Boys need that. They need a man. They need a man to get in their face. And some of you ladies right now are like, well, that sounds great. I don't have that as an option. Pastor, I mean, that, 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 that's, that's not a deal. To, um, you know, their dad's not in their life. You know what? You can choose to find a man who will get in their face. We have an amazing youth ministry here with lots of godly men who will get in their face for you and help you. I highly recommend it. It's a big deal. But I am regular. I've changed boys in my home. I'm, I love them. And they're good kids. I have good kids, okay? But I still have to get in their face and say, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to go there. No, you're not going to leave the house at 1 a.m. in the morning to go to Whataburger for the 15th time. You're not going to do this, right? And I'm always telling them, no, you're not going to do this. No, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to go hang, right? It's, I feel like the no guy at this stage of my life, but it's okay. And I just have to tell men, don't back down from your role. And you listen, your wives need you to be the heavy. It's a good thing, guys. We need to do that. And so I often have sometimes look at my boys and say, that's not going to happen. In the same way that the American policy is not to negotiate with terrorists, neither do I. Go back to your room. And so that's important. Does that make sense? And so don't be afraid to draw a hard line. Is that good? We'll just close the message right now and go home. Peace out. Thank you. Okay. So, all right. So anyways, that's a big deal. So he pops off, right? And so Mama gets mad because you're making fun of her baby, and you're not my baby, and I don't even like the, the reminder of, of the mistake I made by letting my husband even sleep with your mom, right? So she's like, she's out, right? And so what does this tell us? The first thing I want to tell you is hard to swallow, but if you will swallow this pill, if you will receive what I'm going to say next, it'll really help you avoid another betrayal, okay? So this is a big deal. No one likes to hear this, but this is true, okay? You got to, number one, recognize your part in it. We don't like to talk about that. No, they just left me. Did they just leave you or were you a little difficult? Did you just get fired or were you not getting your job done even after they met with you several times and you still didn't get your job done? So they warned you and you didn't act right or make a change and so then they let you go and then you're mad at them. But they had warned you, right? Well, I, my, my, my wife just left me high and dry. Okay, okay, dude, I'm not denying that. That's, that's not right, and it's, it's horrible, and I'm not trying to make light of it. But did you ignore her for a couple of years? And then in that process, she got tired of it and, and left? And what I'm trying to say is normally we have a partner. Now, I want to make a couple exceptions here, okay? I, do not live here and say, well, Pastor Bill said that, you know, I'm responsible for why I got raped. No, I did not say that. I'm not talking about violence. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about things. There, there's never a reason for anyone to do that to you, ever. That is completely on them. We're not, we're not talking about those are exceptions, okay? But we do need to be honest. If you can't admit your part in why someone left you, you're setting yourself up to stay just like you are, and the next person will leave you too. Do you see the problem? I'm trying to help you avoid more betrayal, okay? If you got fired from one job and you don't recognize what you did to possibly contribute to that, you'll go to a new job and do the same thing, get fired again. So we have to recognize it. So the people who have hurt me the deepest, I had to stop and say, okay, what was my part in that? Because I had a part in it. And so I have to recognize what have I said or done or didn't do that 
made them angry or hurt their feelings, and then they betrayed me. So in other words, they probably, the betrayer often feels betrayed, and that's why they betray you. And so you got to understand what's going on here. So, so we got a young man who's popping off at the mouth, and boom, we don't have a home. Now, is that right or fair? No, it's not right or fair. I'm not saying it was. But I'm just trying to help you understand. There's more to this picture than you often hear taught about Abraham and Sarah putting out Hagar and saying, get out of here before they kick them out of their house, okay? And so that was going on here as well. So we do have a part to play. We need to recognize our part. A guy one time said, my girlfriend broke my heart into a thousand pieces with a cruel dagger of betrayal when she ended our relationship. She said it was because I was too dramatic. (laughs) Oftentimes we have a role we're playing in this and we've got to recognize that role. Look what happens next, verse 14. So Abraham got up early the next morning prepared food in a container of water and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, before I go on, let me just put your finger there and look up here real quick. Let me just say this, this is, this is important. It says, it says that he, Abraham felt bad. He's like, okay, here's a pack of lunch and here's some water, uh, bye, right? Sends her out. Now, I'm sure she's looking at this water and this pack of food going like, seriously, this is all I get? Like, you think this is gonna sustain me? Like, this is not even close to enough. So you think this is enough child support? You think this is enough severance? You think this is enough to get me through? It's never enough. And let me tell you this, listen, listen. But the reason it's never enough is not for what you think. It's not because it really is enough and you're just overspending. No, it's not it. It's never enough because you still are looking at that one person who left you or fired you or whatever as your source. They're not your source. God's your source. Does that make sense? He's your source. So, Hagar, that's not supposed to be enough. It's just supposed to get you started. Which I know that sounds real cold, but if you don't see it as that, then you'll just sit and look at it and watch it dwindle and go, I just, I can't make it. Well, you're not supposed to just make it on that. You're supposed to go now build your own life and make it on your own. Okay, so understand there's two parts of that. Number 15, verse 15. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard her crying. Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Oh, let me read again. But God heard the mom crying on behalf of the boy. No, it doesn't say that. No, but God, who did God hear crying? The boy. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. A couple things I want to point out. One is that mom and dad love you, know you love your kid. But here's the thing. They are really not going to own up to their part until they're crying over it. Did you catch that? I know we cry over decisions they make, but do they cry over decisions they make? Or is it that they don't cry over decisions to make because we always scoop in and go, oh, I'll save you, baby. No, no, no. I don't want any consequences ever touch your life. And then we wonder why they never change because what made you change? What made me change? Consequences. And let's just be honest, right? Why do we not all drive 100 miles an hour on every freeway? Because we'll get a ticket. Not because we're such good citizens. I doubt that's really why. <laughs> right? Why do you just magically turn your taxes in on April 15th? Is it because you just like that day and we just all agree it's a great day? No, because you're penalized April 16th, right? So consequences change us more than anything else. So as scary as it is, parents, we have to allow our kid to take the hit on some things so then they realize, wow, I did this. 
Like, I opened my fat mouth, and now mom and I don't have a home. See what I'm saying? Now you say, well, but it was a tenuous situation. She was a slave, and it was horrible. I, I agree with all that. But it still doesn't change the fact that he opened his mouth, next thing you know, they're homeless. So he had a part to play in this, and it was a big part. Now, one of the things I want to point out, though, notice that God told her, go to him, comfort him, and tell him, I will make a great nation of his descendants. So God says, hey, my promise is with any of Abraham's descendants, and so I will also make him a great nation as well. So I have a big future for him, for Ishmael as well. Number two, when you cry out to God, look for his promise. Look for his promise. Years ago, in a real dark moment for me, I was pastoring a church, a little church in Dallas, Texas, Irving, Texas to be more specific, and it was, I loved the people, and I thought they loved me, and they, they did, and we all loved each other, it was all good, but I had put together a board of directors or elder board, whatever you'd like to call it, a, a leadership team above me, uh, set this whole thing up, and, and, and you know, I had personally appointed them, so I thought, these are going to be great guys, going to be awesome, this is going to really go forward, and then within months, they're coming to me, and they're saying, we don't agree with your vision, and I'm like, what do you mean? This is the vision God's given me. They said, go back and pray, and see what God tells you, and I went back and prayed, and I came back, and I was like, God confirmed it again, this is what we're supposed to do, and they said, we don't want to do that, so I was at this impasse, I was like, this is just not working out, the church wasn't growing, it wasn't going well, uh, again, we, I love them, and they love me, but it just wasn't working out, and I realized that I made a mistake putting guys in leadership that didn't agree with the vision, I didn't even understand all that yet, and so I blew this whole thing up, messed the whole thing up on my own, and I just cried out to God, Lord, what do I do? And I felt like God was telling me, you need to move on. This is messed up. This is not. You can either sit here for the next 10 years and fight these people like most churches do, or you can design it right on the next one and get it started the right way. And that was my first church plant. This is my second church plant. So I will tell you this. When I was going through a real broken time and I had friends and family that loved me saying, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to go plant the church. And they're looking at me like, you mean like the last one? And they had every right to say that because it's true. It wasn't going well. And I, I was like, man, I just feel so defeated. I said, God, I need you to show me something. I just, I began to press into God, say, God, please speak to me. And God gave me a verse. Acts 2, 47 is the verse that God gave me. And in that verse, he says, the Lord added to their number daily. And I felt like God was telling me, if you'll plant the church, I will help it grow at least one person a day for its existence, 365 people a year. And I have stood in that promise, and for 19 years we've seen at least 365 people come and join this church every year after year after year. I've stood on that promise. There is a promise for you in God's word too. I'm not going to give you a, hey, can you just tell me a couple cool verses? No, because God's supposed to tell you. You got to dig in. It's your time with God. It's your relationship with God. He has things he wants to tell you. And so believe it or not, that betrayal, that difficulty, that heartache you're going through that you feel so broken and lost is going to drive you to the word and you're going to get a word from God, a promise from God. You're going to build your entire life on that promise. That's when great things happen. Let it play out. Let it play out. It's good. Number two, when, when you cry out to God, look for his promise. When you cry out to God, number two, look for his promise. His word is full of over 7,000 promises. So get into this word. Did you know that? 7,000 promises. So get into it. And even if you're scared to death, you don't know what's going to happen next. Just like Hagar was, just, just stay faithful. Trust the Lord. The Bible says fear not. It says fear not 365 times in the Bible, which means there's not a day in, the, in, in your year that you should be afraid if you're walking with the Lord. And so God has your back. He knows what you're going through. He is with you. He is guiding you. Somebody get excited because God's giving you a word right now. He has a big plan for you. He really does. 
Next week, be sure and join us again as we talk about uh, the silver lining of your unfair situation. Maybe you say, you know, Pastor, I wasn't just betrayed. I'm being betrayed. I'm in the middle of it. Like, it's not done. What do you do when you're in the middle of it and you feel like you can't get out of it? Next week is all about that. I want to encourage you to be here next week as we continue this series. Verse 19 says this, Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. So it doesn't say that God then put a well on the ground suddenly. He could have done that. I mean, this is the God who made water come from a rock. This is God who parted the Red Sea. This is God who made the heavens. This is God who, you know, I mean, he can do all that and more. So he could have done it that way, but he doesn't do that. And I want to point this out. Sometimes we're asking for miracles and asking for things that God's already given us, we just haven't accessed it yet. The water was already there. It, it doesn't say that the water wasn't there. It says God opened Sarah's eyes, excuse me, Hagar's eyes. What opens our eyes to resources that are already there? It's real simple, faith. See, when you're negative, fearful, scared, or anxious, that makes you so myopic. Myopic means you just get a real limited vision, and all you see is who hurt me, and they said this, and they did that, and it's not right, and that's all you see. But if you pull back and say, okay, God, wait a minute, maybe you're in this. Maybe there's something bigger going on. You begin to say, God, I believe you're a God who loves me. You have a plan for my life. You're not trying to hurt me. You want to set me free. You have great things for me. All of a sudden, you see all the stuff around you. All of a sudden, the whole world opens up. Oh, but, but Johnny broke up with me and it hurt me so bad. There's just no one like Johnny. I know that. But then you're going to meet Bobby. And it's all good then. I know no one's like Johnny. But there's a Bobby out there better than Johnny. It's better. You got to open your mind. Does that make sense? There's more opportunity. God's not done making people. Isn't that great? So if someone betrays you, look for someone else. I'm just saying. God, you know, oh, I lost my job. I'm just done. There's other jobs. There's other places. I mean, we, we, we limit ourselves like, like, like that's just it. That's just the last thing. There's just nothing that good. And again, that, that tells me you're getting very myopic. God, the Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord. Don't, not oh, magnify my betrayal. Not oh, magnify my problem. Oh, magnify the Lord. And if you'll do that, God will open your eyes to all this opportunity. It's right in front of you. It's been there all along, and you never realize that this well, this resource is right in front of me. All I got to do is have the eyes of faith to see it, and there is an opportunity. Number three, ask God to open your eyes to resources and opportunities that have been there all along. And may I mention one thing here? Has anyone noticed yet that a girl that was a slave just became free? See, we didn't even notice that. We just saw... And Abraham and Sarah put her out. Oh, I can't believe that. Do you know that in their culture, you would have to work for years to buy your own freedom? It's called indentured servitude. Servitude. Look it up. That's how most of them got free if they ever got free at all. And so you had to work your way to being free. And yet she just all at once, boom, you're out of here. Get out of here. You're kicked out. What she didn't realize probably when she was gone was like, I, I, I'm not a slave anymore. Like I've, I've been set free. But why was she downcast? And why was she down, not so down then? I can explain that real simple. Because oftentimes the Lord through betrayal sets us free, but we don't see our freedom. We just see our hurt. And you know what? She's probably scared. You know why? When you're a slave, every morning you wake up, you're told what to do. You're told where to go, what to eat, what to do, where to work. This is your job. Do this, do that, do that. Shut up. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to know your opinion. I don't care what you think. You're my property. Do this. You're just told everything to do. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and you know what Sarah should do? I mean, I keep saying Sarah, sorry. Hagar, you know what she's supposed to do now that she's put out? This is going to shock you. But guess what Hagar is supposed to do? This is why she was so shocked getting to what to do. You ready for this? Hagar, this is what you do your first day of freedom. You wake up, and guess what you do? You do whatever you want. 
my opinion matters now? Where I want to live? What I want to do? What I want to live my life? Yes, your opinion matters. And some of you feel put out by someone who wouldn't even let you be you. You're hurt by someone who didn't even want to hear your opinion. You feel rejected by someone who didn't care about your feelings and your thoughts. And you say, oh God, free me, help me, change this relationship. And God is such a loving God, sometimes he says, this is so jacked up, the best thing I can do is get you away from them. And so when you say, oh God, I need your grace, God says, that is my grace. I just blessed you. So God set Hagar free, but she was scared because she didn't know what to do in her freedom. Could it be that you and I are sitting in a prison and the Lord has unlocked the door and swung it open and we just keep sitting there? Oh, I don't know what to do out there. I'll just, I'll just stay in here. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? Go live your life to the fullest. God is freeing you. Quit living like a slave when you've been set free. Some of you right now have been set free and you're still living like a slave. I remember when I was on college campus one time, I was talking to this guy. He said, hey man, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, oh, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends. He was like, oh dude, we're gonna go party, man. We're gonna go to the club. We're gonna get plastered. It's gonna be awesome. You wanna go? And I was like, oh, I don't do that. And he was like, what? She just saw the look on his face. He couldn't even believe it. I was like, all right, Spicoli, chill out. I looked at him, I was like, here's the deal. That wasn't his real name. Anyways, I said to him, I was like, no, I don't, I don't do that. He goes, you don't party? And I was like, well, no, but I play. And that's, that was like my line. I was saying, I don't party, but I play. Like, I have a good time, but no, I don't party. And he was just like, well, what do you do? Like, you couldn't imagine life outside of not getting high, not getting drunk, not chasing girls he's never met before and try to get him to sleep with them in one night. I mean, he could not imagine a world beyond that. He could not see the slavery he was in. He couldn't see it. He didn't realize that that, that doesn't satisfy because he'd never been out of it. Could it be that we've been set free through Christ, but we're still living a slave life? The whole time we've been free? Something to think about. God wants us to be set free. And when you're free, according to the Bible, you're free indeed. You're completely free. Hagar, this is your life now. What do you want to do? But he hurt me. I know he did. And he hurt you when you had that child. Did you forget that, Hagar? That probably wasn't the most pleasant experience, was it? And now you're free to live your life. And you have your son. You're free of all that. But I'm broke. I don't have anything. Right, that comes with freedom. Right? You got to learn to take care of yourself. So that's the thing. Freedom comes with, with freedom comes responsibility. So what happens next? I, I love this. Check it out. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the, in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. So, so mom stayed with him, right? It says he became a skillful archer. What makes you become a skillful archer? Oh, I can help you with that. Real easy. Throw you in the wilderness with no food. You'll become a skillful archer really fast. <laughs> right? This may shock you, but I want to help you understand this. Your betrayal helps develop you. Nothing develops you faster than getting screwed over. Can you say that in church? I think we just did. I don't know. Can we edit that? Number four. It's in your lack that you develop your skill. It's what they didn't have that made him go, why do you learn to hunt? Because if I don't hunt, I don't eat. That's how we learn to hunt. Do you know why as a church we learn how to 
get visitors to come to our church. Why do we become so good at that? I mean, I still want to work on it. We're, we haven't learned it all. We've still got a lot of improvement to make. But I can tell you why in the early days we were so good at getting people to come here. Because I didn't have anybody coming to church. I had to get good. Because we'd start Sunday service. And I was like, hey, thanks for coming, honey. Thanks for bringing our two kids. So let's have church. There's no one else here. So I had to learn to invite people to church. Does that make sense? And so when you're desperate is when you learn skills. It's not, people keep thinking, I just want to be inspired to do great things. Inspiration isn't going to work. You need desperation. Desperation works, right? People that are inspired don't go on Match.com. You're desperate. Sign me up for Match.com. <laughs> Let's just be honest, all right? I wasn't inspired to get up and go to work today. I'm broke. I need to go to work today, right? It's desperation. I don't mean you're desperate if you say, that's fine. It's great. Online dating is a great thing now, I get it. But the point I'm trying to say is this, and that's fine. <laughs> the point I'm saying is what makes you get out there is when you realize me not getting out there doesn't get me the results I want, right? Oh, I'm not going to that single group. I don't need that. When's the last time we went on a date? Uh, 1928? Okay, you may want to consider the singles group. <laughs> In other words, suddenly you're willing to step out because what you are doing is not working. And so we have to be willing to realize that's how we develop our skills. It's in your lack that you develop your skill. There was a World War II pilot that had just flown this mission. He was heading back uh, to the base. And uh, on his way back, he, he was out of munitions completely. So he was a little, little vulnerable because of that, right? So he's just trying to get, get home real quick uh, and refuel because he was almost out of gas as well, as well as re reload munitions and go back into the fight. So he's heading home. And as he's going, he starts to hear some noise in the cockpit. He hears some squeaking, and he knows his, his steering apparatus is acting up a little bit. It's working sometimes, not working sometimes. He's like, okay, what's going on? And he realizes there's a rat inside the control panel. He's like, this is not good. I just fought a battle and won. I did not die in war, and a rat's going to kill me. <laughs> like, you can imagine his frustration, right? So he's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So finally he realizes that rat is small. That rat has very small lungs not near the size of my lungs. So, so he's really smart. He figured this out. He takes this airplane and he just raises the altitude and goes higher and higher and higher until he can barely breathe himself. And guess what? He no longer hears the rat. Killed the rat. And it saved his life. In the same way, I want to tell you something right now. There's some rats whispering in your ear, talking a bunch of junk, making you feel negative and discouraged and frustrated. And, and where you feel, it's one thing to be betrayed. Don't live betrayed. You can get betrayed. You don't need to live betrayed. Because those rats will chew up all the good things you have going in your life. So how do you solve that? It's real simple. You praise God. Because when you praise God, you raise your level of altitude. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. It doesn't say that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice when you get betrayed. Rejoice when you get rejected. Rejoice when you get fired. Rejoice when, when, when you're divorced. Rejoice when you go through difficulty. Rejoice through that problem. I mean, James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. And so we need to learn to rejoice whenever we're going through it. So what I want to tell you to do is not just be a Christian during your darkest moment. You're already a believer. Those of you who accepted Christ, if you haven't, we'll take care of that in just a moment. But let me tell you something. Those of you who are already Christ followers, the Bible doesn't say just to exist. It says to praise him in every situation. So I want to challenge you. When you're lonely, praise him. When you're hurting, praise him. When you're betrayed, praise him. When you're broke, praise him. When you're going through something, praise him. When you're depressed, praise him. Someone needs to get to their feet right now and praise God and say, God, I praise you anyways. I praise you no matter what comes my way. I will not stop praising.
praising you. You deserve my all, God. No matter what comes my way, I will worship you. I will not stop my praise. No matter what happens, no matter who says what or does what to me, my praise will always be on my lips to my God. Don't back off of your praise. Don't back off. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just take a moment today. Maybe for you, you've been focused on the negative situation, focused on your hurt so much, you forgot to praise God. I know it's going to sound crazy, but some of you right now need to say, God, I want to praise you that I was left. I want to praise you that I never knew my daddy. I want to praise you that that man walked out of me. I want to praise you that I lost my job. I want to praise you, God, that that person hurt me. Probably never thought of it that way, and I understand. And we're not making a lot of your pain. But until you can praise God in the dark moments, God can't use you. If you won't praise him in the dark, God can't use you in the light. But if you'll praise God in your deepest, darkest despair, he will fill you with his joy. That's when you know you're truly walking with the Lord. Is when everything's going wrong and you worship him anyways. You say, God, I'm yours. No matter what comes my way, God, I'm yours. I devote myself to you, God. I will worship you in the midst of my pain. As Job said, though he slay me, I will worship him. I will worship you, God. Make that your prayer today. No matter my pain, God, I worship you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to know that God loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay the price for your sins and for mine. Then Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he is God. His greatest act of love for you, by the way, happened after he was betrayed by Judas. No surprise there. Because our greatest acts, our greatest moves, are always after our deepest betrayals. Jesus gave his life for you and me to become our Savior. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, we're going to pray this prayer across all of our campuses. You can pray. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.